Welcome to the teaching ministry of Stephen Fraser and Life of Faith Bible Church, an outreach dedicated to helping you triumph in every area of life. Now here's Pastor Fraser with today's message. Well, you get ready for the military to be activated. Heaven's about to activate its military. It's the army of the redeemed. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Something spiritual is about to happen. God's about to do some things. And it's through you. It's through his church. It's through his troops that have been training, getting ready. Getting ready for this hour. Getting ready for this time. Joel chapter 2, 10, talking about this army. Well, go back to verse 9. It says, they run to and fro in the city. There's been a whole lot of folks running to and fro in the cities of this country. Trying to wreak havoc. But that's just the work of the devil. That's just demons manifesting through humans. That's right. It's demons manifesting through humans. People that would go around rioting and carrying on like that and cause all that destruction. The devil's called the destroyer. So he's the inspiration behind all the destruction. So they run around in the city, but bless God, there's someone else coming up behind them. It's the military of God. It's the military of heaven. God's sending the troops. He's about to activate them. He's about to activate them with a heavy anointing, with some glory, with some greater grace than they've ever known before. That's what's coming. The earth quakes before them. The heavens tremble. The sun and moon grow dark, and the stars diminish their brightness. The Lord gives voice before his army. For his camp is very great for or because strong is the one who executes or carries out or does his word. Do we have any doers of the word? Doers of the word. Well, if you're a real doer of the word, man, you're strong. You're strong. That's what he said. For strong is the one who's a doer of the word. The one who carries out his word. For the day of the Lord is great and very terrible or very awesome. Who can endure it? You know, there's another scripture that talks about who can, in, who can endure the devouring fire. Isaiah chapter 33, verse 14. The sinners in Zion are afraid Now, Zion, of course, is referring to Israel, but according to the book of Hebrews, it's also talking about the church. The church. It says the sinners in the church. Can you imagine sinners in the church? (laughs) They're afraid. Fearfulness has seized the hypocrites. Wouldn't you like to see that? Not too many amens. (laughs) Interesting. Just interesting. Fearfulness, something's coming that caused nice, comfy, cozy Christians sitting at church to suddenly become extremely uncomfortable. 
those that are playing with a dual life, got half foot in the world and half foot in the things of God, playing the hypocrite. The Bible says fearfulness has seized them. Who among us shall dwell with the devouring fire? Who among us shall dwell with everlasting burnings? Who? Who among us? Well, he tells you, the ones who walks, walks righteously and speaks uprightly. He who despises the gain of oppressions, who gestures with his hands refusing bribes, who stops his ears from hearing of bloodshed, doesn't sit there and listen to all the talk of bloodshed and shuts his eyes from seeing evil. He's not entertained by it. He will dwell on high. His place of defense will be the fortress of rocks. Bread will be given him. His water will be sure. Your eyes will see the king in his beauty. That's in his glory. They will see the land that is afar off. Your heart will meditate on terror, on terror, the terror of the past. Where is the scribe? Where is he who weighs? Where is he who counts the towers? You will not see a fierce people, a people of obscure speech, beyond perception of a stabbering tongue that you cannot understand. So he's talking about tongue-talking holy rollers. He's talking about folks walking in the righteousness of God. They are speaking the right things. They are protecting themselves from what, they, what goes in their ears, what is before their eyes. These are the ones God says are going to be endued with a special fire. We know, according to Acts chapter 3, that there are times of refreshing that come from the presence of the Lord. Times of revival. Back in the book of Ezra, if you'll go there tonight, Ezra chapter 9, they had come through some very difficult times, the children of Israel. Ezra prayed as they had all gathered together, and he made this statement in verse 8. He said, and now for a little while, grace has been shown from the Lord our God to leave us a remnant to escape and to give us a peg in his holy place that our God may enlighten our eyes and give us a measure of revival in our bondage. God is a God of revival. God wants to revive folks. I said he wants to revive folks. And so God's been training us, training us twofold, both in his word and in the flow of the Holy Spirit. We need to be skillful in both. We need to understand the scriptures. We need to understand the heart of God. And we need to understand the flow of the Holy Spirit. Moses was that kind of man. The Bible says, I think it's in Psalm 
103, but I, I'm not sure. Maybe somebody else can help me with that. But it says, the Lord showed the children of Israel his acts, but Moses his ways. So Moses understood the why behind what God was doing. He wasn't just familiar with his acts, with his power, with the manifestations of the Holy Spirit, with the moving of the Holy He was familiar with that. He knew how to move with the Holy Spirit. He knew how to flow with the Holy Spirit. He had become skillful in operating in the miracle-working power of God. I mean, splitting Red Seas, I mean, all the things that God did through Moses. Moses understood these. He understood the moving of the Holy Spirit, but he also was a man of the word. In fact, he wrote the first five books of the Bible. He understood the word, so he didn't just know God according to experiences. He knew God according to his word. In other words, he understood the heart of God. He understood the why behind what God does. And so we need to understand the why behind what God does. We're not just looking for an experience with him. We're looking to walk with him. We need to know how to flow with the Holy Spirit and walk with God by faith. And that's what we were talking about last time. We were talking about what happens when there's no flow of the Spirit. What happens when the river of God dries up? Because that can happen. That's why there's times of refreshing. There's times for revival. There's times for moves of God where God initiates things and begins to manifest and do great and wonderful things and the spirit of the Lord comes upon people. The power of God comes upon people and suddenly people are experiencing spiritual things. They're experiencing the spirit of God. And sometimes some of the most carnal people, when that power of God comes upon them, are suddenly doing very spiritual things, like prophesying. We saw that last last time with Saul, King Saul. And how here he was, totally backslidden, away from God, and wanted to kill David, who was to be the next king. He was determined to kill him. And he sent these mercenaries to go get David. But David was in the middle of camp meeting with the prophet Samuel. And man, they were having camp meeting. It was a move of God. Powerful. And the Spirit of God, his presence was so overwhelming that when these mercenaries walked into that area where God was in manifestation, they fell out under the power of God, began to prophesy, came under spiritual inspiration, came under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And so Saul sent another group of mercenaries. The same thing happened. Sent another group. Same thing happened. I mean, these are very carnal, fleshly people. Power of God just overwhelming them. Finally, Saul himself goes down there. Power of God is so strong, he's overwhelmed, and there he is prophesying. Prophesying. This man whose heart was full of murder. Prophesying. So when the Spirit of God moves and comes upon people, amazing things happen. Fleshly, carnal people suddenly can become spiritual. 
But what happens when the spirit lifts? Because if the spirit could come upon, the spirit could come off. Happy people know the spirit did not remain upon Saul. The spirit came off of Saul. And what happened? He went right back to his old ways. Went right back to pursuing David's life, wanting to kill David. He wasn't changed at all. You'd think that would change him, right? I mean, you have an experience like that. You walk into the presence of God. You're so overwhelmed. You're like a drunk person. You're out there prophesying. And the next thing you know, you get up, you go home when it's all over, and you go right back to say, you know, I want to kill somebody. I think I'll go kill David today. Next thing you're just as nasty, just as mean as you were before. See, that's not good. I said, that's not good. God will refresh, God will revive, God will move in order to get us stirred up enough so that when his spirit's no longer moving, we're still moving. We're walking with him. We're pursuing him. When we get touched by God, it should make us hungry for him, thirsty for him. We should be like, the Lord is good. The Lord is so good. His mercy endures forever. Wow. I want to know him more. I want to know him. And so what happens? You are now provoked to pursue him, to seek him, to find him, to get to know him, to get to know him. In other words, you experience something of him in order that you might be revived and stirred up to go get to know him. Thank God for experiences. We need them. We need R&R from heaven. We need times of refreshing. We need it. But we're not just pursuing God for an experience. And we don't want to just live for the next experience. We want to live for him, the God who gives experiences. I say we want to live for the God who gives experiences. So when there's no flow of the Spirit for you to coast along in and just ride the waves of glory, what do you do? Well, thank God you can walk. Amen. When there's no river flowing, there's no river boat, thank God you can still walk. You can walk by faith. You can walk in the Spirit. Galatians 5 Verse 16 declares, I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Just something to mention here. We're not to be focusing on not fulfilling the lusts of the flesh. We're to be focusing on walking in the spirit because if we'll walk in the spirit, we won't fulfill the lusts of the flesh. So when you're struggling with the flesh, Stop thinking about the flesh. Because the more you think about how you're struggling with the flesh, the more you're going to get entangled with the flesh. Why? Because you're becoming more flesh conscious. But you want to be more spirit conscious. Spirit conscious. Which can also be being more word conscious. Because remember Jesus said in John 6, he says, the words that I speak to you, they're spirit. And life. 
So we're, we're conscious of what God is saying. We're, we're conscious of him, that he's real, that he's alive, that he's here with us right now. We become more conscious of him, what he's done for us. He's redeemed our lives from destruction. He has delivered us from sin and sinfulness and that sin nature, praise God, and the law of the spirit of life that's in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. I'm not going to be controlled by the flesh. I walk in the spirit. I'm a spirit being. I'm spiritually alive. I'm spirit-minded. Bless God. My body's the temple of the Holy Spirit. I talk in the Spirit. Therefore, I walk in the Spirit. Right? James tells you that your tongue is like the rudder to a ship. So if if you'll talk in tongues, which is also known as talking in the Spirit, praying in the Spirit and your tongue's the rudder to a ship, then it's going to affect the way you walk. If you talk in the Spirit, you'll walk in the Spirit. But if you just sit over here and go, I've got to stop doing this. My God, what do I keep doing? I can't why I keep going back to that. No, why I keep falling into that same sin. Stop focusing on the sin and focus on the Spirit. And that's how we help one another. We don't help one another by pointing out their sin as much as we need to point out the one who redeemed them from that thing who delivered them from that thing and the power that they have over that thing. Sometimes you just need to look at your problems and say, I'm better than that. I'm higher than that. I'm seated in heavenly places far above that mess. But you keep saying, I'm such a mess or you're such a mess or mess, 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 focus on the mess. What what do you think you're going to be stuck doing? You're going to be stuck in the mess. But I don't want to be in the mess. I want to be blessed. So how do you do it? How do you do it? Walk in the Spirit. Be mindful of spirits. See, walking in the Spirit is being mindful of spiritual things. Number one, the Word. Being aware of Him. The presence of God, the Holy Spirit. He's here, whether you can feel Him or not. We know He's here. I know He's here. He said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. So that's it. That settles it for me. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death and it feels awful all around me. Doesn't feel like he's there, but I know he is. I know he is because he said he is. He's there. He's with me, leading me, guiding me. He'll help me. See, think on him. Think on him. Let your mentality, let your mind come up higher. And that's going to cause you to walk free of the things of the flesh. He says in verse 25, if we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. Let us walk in the Spirit. So like I said last time, it can be difficult to walk in the Spirit after you've been being moved by the Spirit. What do you mean moved by the Spirit? Well, we're talking about a move of the Spirit. What is a move of the Spirit? It's people being moved by the Spirit. And people know we need a move of the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? People need to be moved by the Spirit. You know, like Saul. And so after being moved by the Spirit of God, when that lifts... Many times, people don't know what to do concerning spiritual things. Now, which is back to being me, I guess. What does that mean? Just being carnal, just being natural, just being fleshy. See, a lot of people just revert right back to that. I, I've marveled over the years. You know, you lay hands on people, they fall out under the power of God, they're shaking. I mean, beautiful things are happening. I'm like, yes, I can feel it. God is doing things. And then next thing you know, you know, they go home, they come back the next day or whatever, you know, a couple of days later. 
And uh, the same old, same old. Nothing's changed. You think, what in the world? What, what in the world? Nothing's changed. Their, their personal disciplines haven't changed. They haven't changed the way they don't seek God. They haven't changed much of anything, just back to whining and complaining and every other thing. You say, well, how could that be? So then what people begin to do is they begin to doubt the experience. Nothing really happened. If something happened, then, you know, if God touches you, something's going to, you're going to be changed. If that was really gone, you'd be changed. Tell that to Saul, King Saul. Didn't change him. Now, there was another Saul, the Saul of Tarsus. And he was riding down the road one day on his high horse. And the glory of God hit him. That power of God hit him. That glory of God was so awesome and overwhelming, it knocked him down and blinded him for a time. And he said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And you know what? His whole life was radically changed. Isn't that interesting? You got a Saul over here, power of God, he's out killing people. They're both of them, both Sauls were out killing people, trying to arrest people. Saul, King Saul, and Saul of Tarsus, both very bad men doing very bad things. One of them feels the power, gets hit by the power of God, knocked down, gets up. Said, now where did David go? Wants to kill him still. Still's a murderer. The other one, he gets knocked down. He gets up and says, Lord, I surrender all. What do you want me to do? Just tell me and I'll do it. And did he do it? Did he do it? Well, he had a real experience. Uh, This other soul didn't have a real experience. No. No, it's what they did with the experience. One allowed it to change their heart, change the way they viewed life, the way they viewed everything. And went after God 110%. And the other one just went right back to living in the flesh. So you see, we have to understand, especially when there's a move of God, because you'll see all kinds of things like that. You'll see people getting hit by the power of God, then you'll see them out cursing. You'll see people just full of the Holy Ghost doing a, a, you know, amazing things, how God used them, how God touched them. I mean, it was undeniable. And the next thing you know, you'll... You'll see him doing some ungodly thing. And you'll think, how could that be? And then people get discouraged because they don't understand these things. But you and I do understand these things because he's teaching us so that we're not moved by it. We look and we say, well, that's, that's how it works. And uh, I'm not going to judge them. I'm just going to go ahead and judge myself and make sure that uh, I'm really taking hold of what God's doing in my life. I mean, I think of Ananias and Sapphira. In Acts chapter 5, I mean, it's a move of God. It's a move of God. The grace of giving has come upon people. They're giving, they're giving, they're giving, they're giving their lands, they're giving things. And then these two, right in the middle of a move of God, have been saved, born again, filled with the Holy Spirit, part of the church. They start listening to Satan. They start listening to Satan. And then they come into the church to try to deceive the church in order to make themselves look good in front of everybody. Now it's all about them instead of about Jesus and what he's doing. Here they were. I mean, you know, these, these people experienced God, full of God, everything else. But look what happened. They made a decision to yield to Satan and walk in the flesh. 
Should, get, should we get discouraged when we see those kind of things? No, we understand what's going on. We understand what's going on. Many times, many people cannot be spiritual unless the Spirit of God continues upon them. And that's not good. Because we got to be able to be spiritual when the Spirit of God lifts off of us. When the Spirit of God comes off of us, or we're not in a move of God, where God's moving us, you and I still need to know how to walk godly and holy, godlike, to walk with God. Notice over here in 2 Chronicles chapter 32. So really this message is, is twofold. This message, like I just said, is preparing us to understand revival, understand moves of God. We don't live by a move of God. We welcome them. We receive them. We yield to them. We get in on it. We get all we can get while the getting's good, right? While God's flowing. But that's not how we live. We live by faith. We live by faith in the word of God. We live by faith in the word of God. That's how we live. That's how we live. So we welcome the refreshing, but we live by faith. So God's helping us to understand that. It's tempting when, I mean, the power of God's moving to just abandon all your understanding of Scripture and just go with the flow of the Spirit of God. But that's not what God wants us to do. He wants us to continue to be able to understand his ways, understand his heart, understand what he's doing, and walk by faith in the midst of a move of God so that when the move of God lifts, we're still walking. We're not, we're not like a chariot whose wheels have fallen off. Over here in 2 Chronicles chapter 32, it's talking about King Hezekiah. And it says in verse 30, this same Hezekiah also stopped the water outlet of Upper Gihon and brought the water by tunnel to the west side of the city of David. And actually, you can look that up. That tunnel is still, people go and, and see it. It's still there. So it's incredible what he did. You know, just in case the city was besieged by an invading army, you know, usually a, an army would come, surround a city, and then just wait until all the food and all the water and everything in that city runs out, then the people get desperate and they come out and surrender. So he drilled through rock and built this tunnel so that this water came down from a spring underground. The enemy army didn't know about it and it came in and they had this pool of water in the city. So the city would never run out of water. Amazing that they built this, you know, with such primitive tools. Just so incredible. So he's known for this. He dug. He dug a tunnel to get water. To get water to him. Just in case he came into a time where they were besieged and everything was drying up. Have you ever felt like, has there ever been a time in your life where it felt like the devil besieged you? That he surrounded you? And uh, you were drying up. I mean, it just seemed like God was a million miles away. And you're just like out there in a desert. 
just about ready to die spiritually for lack of God, of lack of divine intervention. Well, do like Hezekiah did. Dig. Dig. Dig for water, praise God. Dig for water. It says, verse 31, however, regarding the ambassadors of the princes of Babylon, whom they sent to him to inquire about the wonder that was done in the land, God withdrew from him in order to test him that he might know all that was in his heart. So God moved in the land. It was a move of God. And there were some wonders, signs and wonders in the land. And folks came from Babylon. Folks probably came from all over because of the, the signs and wonders that God did in the land. You know, people come from everywhere when God gets to moving. When the Spirit gets to moving, you, you don't need to have the internet. You don't need to have a cell phone. People start coming from everywhere. History has proven that. History has proven that. There's been revivals just out there in country homes. And tens of thousands of people start coming to that location because the Spirit of God is moving. In fact, the Cane Ridge revival in Cane Ridge, Kentucky, that took place back in 1800s, and uh, they were having a camp meeting. Tens of thousands of people started coming to this camp out in the fields of Cane Ridge, Kentucky. Nobody, nobody tweeted it. Are you hearing me? Nobody got an alert on their phone that says revival over here at Cane Ridge. But somehow, people picked up on it. People picked up on it. And they went and they experienced God. The glory of God was manifested in that place. So there were signs and wonders. And some folks came from Babylon to inquire about the wonder, the wonder of God that took place in the land. But the signs and the wonders had ended. In fact, God withdrew. God withdrew from Hezekiah. And notice what it says, that when God withdrew from him, it was in order to test him, that he might know all that was in his heart. You know, I believe a part of what Saul, King Saul was prophesying was praises to God. When the Spirit of God came on him, I, I mean, it's easy to praise God. The Bible says, put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Everybody say the garment of praise. Well, you see, that's talking about an anointing. That's talking about an anointing. And uh, there's sometimes you gotta, you got to look for it, and you got to just put the thing on. you got to put on an anointing. Sometimes i got to do that with, when I'm preaching. You know, it depends on who I'm preaching to. You know, if you got an excited crowd and the atmosphere is charged and the Spirit of God is out ahead of the preacher moving, oh, glory be to God. He just steps in there and the, and the mantle's there. The garment is there. It's the easiest thing in the world to praise him. But sometimes you got to look around for it like you're in a dark closet. Uh, and you got to find it 
and put it on. Sometimes it drops on you and sometimes you got to find it and you got to put it on one sleeve at a time. You got to put on the garment of praise. But when that spirit comes upon you, it's easy to praise God. It's easy to magnify God. I believe that was a part of what Saul was doing. He just praising and magnifying God. Shouting. Carry it on. Spirit of God comes on you, man. Some folks just take off running. They don't know what to do with themselves. Can't even stand in, in one place. They get so excited, so filled with the Holy Ghost. Anybody know what I'm talking about? We need times like that. I said we need times like that. But here God withdrew from him in order to test him that he might know what's, what's in your heart. Because, you know, when I was moving you, when I was moving upon you, you were shouting and praising and crying at the altar and telling me how much you love me and how the Lord is Lord and he is God and there's no other. And you said all these beautiful things while my spirit was upon you. Let me just step back a little bit and let's see what we do now. Just testing. Not, not to hurt anybody. Just step back a little bit. What happens now? When that garment's not coming on you. When the spirit's not moving you. When you don't feel such good feelings. When you don't feel a shout coming on you. What do you got? Nothing. That's what I was concerned about. What happened to him? Well, he actually yielded to pride and started showing off. He started showing off King Hezekiah. And one of the things he failed to do was give God glory. Was to give God glory. So he missed it. He missed it. He failed the test. He failed the test. You know, you got to pass tests before you can graduate onto the greater glory. If we're going to go on to the greater glory, then we've got to pass some tests. So that's the twofold. See, God not only is helping us to be ready for revival, but he's trying to get us ready so he can bring a revival. He needs some folks that... Uh, are ready for the greater glory. Folks that truly worship him, truly are committed to praising him, truly in love with him, truly desire him, want to walk with him, want to follow him, want to be a doer of his word. Walk righteously. Speak his word. Even though it's like a desert, God has withdrawn. His spirit has lifted Remember the children of Israel, they came out of Egypt where there were all kinds of signs, wonders, and miracles taking place. Then they came out in the desert, and the Bible says that God tested them there. For 40, 40 years, he tested them. He tested them. Every time he'd withdraw, every time they would whine, they would complain, they would fail the test. Some of those folks couldn't go two days without whining and complaining and venting all kinds of bitterness. No transformation. All that power, all that glory. But the heart never changed. It never changed. 
Isaiah 45, verse 15, says, truly you are God who hides yourself. In fact, I, I would like to, I'd like to turn to it because I'd like to look at it. Isaiah 45, I want to look at more than just that verse because it can get so awesome when the presence of God manifests. And we need to get a vision for some awesome manifestations. Get a vision for it. So, so many folks are going to be caught by surprise. You know who's going to have the toughest time with the manifestations of the Holy Spirit? When the move of God really comes in its fullness. You know who's going to have, you know who's going to have the toughest time with it? Church people that know everything there is to know about God. And they know God doesn't do that. And God doesn't do that. And that is not God. They know everything. They'll be left out. They'll be completely left out. But you and I recognize how God moves. We remember what he did to King Saul. We remember what he did to Saul of Tarsus. We, 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 we know the way God moves. We've seen it through the book of Acts. We've seen it all through the Bible. And we see the kind of things that can happen when the power of God comes upon people. Because God moves on and through people. And in fact, I'm really expecting this. Right here, Isaiah 45, it says in verse 14, thus says the Lord, the labor of Egypt, Egypt we know is a type of the world where those are in bondage to sin, laboring in sin, and merchandise of Cush and of the Sabines. It's like a pinto bean. Man of stature shall come over to you. These are the mighty men of Egypt. Some great men in the world, men of renown. Powerful, influential people. They're going to come over to you and they shall be yours. Haven't been of the heathen are our inheritance. They shall be yours. They shall walk behind you. They shall come over in chains, chains of darkness, bondage. And they shall bow down to you. They will make supplication to you saying, surely God is in you. And there is no other. There is no other God. They're going to be so overwhelmed of God in you that this is what they're going to do. They're going to bow down. They're not worshiping you. They recognize you're not God, but they're being respectful to you. They're honoring you. They're esteeming you by bowing down to you, and they're acknowledging truly, I love that, truly God is in you. Surely God is in you, and there is no other. There is no other God. Boy, that's something that needs to get cleared up in our world today, isn't it? People are so confused about God. Gods, all these different gods. There's no other God. So here, God is in such manifestation, people are falling down in front of you. 
asking you for prayer to help. Because, and these are people of stature. Because God is so a manifestation in your life. And then, right, after talking about such a great manifestation, the next verse says, truly you are God who hides yourself. O God of Israel, the Savior. They shall be ashamed. They also disgraced and also disgraced. All of them, they shall go in confusion together who are makers of idols. But Israel, the true Israel, shall be saved by the Lord with an everlasting salvation. You shall not be ashamed or disgraced forever and ever. Someone say, I'll never be put to shame. Never be put to shame. So some folks are not ready for that. In fact, that would really bother them to see people reverencing Christians like that. Because who are you? Christians are nothing. They're just old sinners, right? They're just old sinners. Worship God. Of course worship God. We're not talking about worship. We're talking about reverence. We're talking about respect. There's so many folks that they don't want to see the church respected like that. Well, it's the devil. He doesn't want to see the church feared and respected like that. But you know what? Too bad. Too bad. Light me up, Jesus. Light me up, Jesus. Everybody's out there in the world and they're looking at their movie stars. It's funny how people don't complain about that. Suddenly, yeah, that's, that's okay. That's normal for people to be out of their minds over some guy because he knows how to sing or because he played a part in a movie. And we're losing our minds over these people. We're just amazed at them. <gasps> I got their autograph. They signed this piece of paper. I got their signature. Okay. But oh, that should never, that kind of praise and honor should never be, toward, be towards the children of God. That's for sinners. No. No, it's coming. It's coming. You are God's stars. Amen. We're the stars of heaven. We're a part of a last day movie that's pretty awesome. And I'm telling you right now, Paul the Apostle is probably one that's got front row seats right next to Moses. Man, he is watching this movie unfold. Powerful. Stars of heaven. That's why when we get to heaven, we're going to have a grand entry into the kingdom of God. We're going to have a grand, they're going to celebrate. What are they going to celebrate? What are they going to celebrate? You little worm. You nothing. You old sinner. What are they going to celebrate about you? They're going to celebrate. Jesus is going to celebrate you. God himself is going to celebrate you. He's going to walk over and put a crown on your head and say, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what he's going to do. So why not? If angels are excited and the saints in heaven are excited about you, well, bless God, let some heathen get excited about you too. Great way for them to get saved. Good way for them to get saved. But notice he is a God who hides himself. Why does God hide himself? Well, Proverbs chapter 25, verse 2 says this. It says, it is the glory of God to conceal 
a matter. Hide it. But the glory of kings to search out a matter. See, it's in the searching with all your heart, searching for God, searching for the wisdom of God, digging in to get to know him and understand him is what transforms you into a king, which transforms you into a person of authority in the kingdom of God. Notice that again. It's the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the glory of kings is to search out a matter. You will grow in kingly authority and in glory as you search for him with all your heart, as you seek things out. You go through stuff. And there's sometimes, God will just tell you. He'll just say something to you. And you say, man, God just said this to me. God just showed me this. God showed me what I'm supposed to do. Praise God, he moved. He moved. He spoke to you. He initiated. He showed you something. Has anybody ever had that happen? I mean, you almost were hardly not. You weren't even looking. And God came out of there, showed you something. Oh, glory be to God, I see it. Yeah, that's wonderful. But then there's times where he's like, seek. Lord, Lord, I got to know. I got to know what to do about this. I got to know. What do you want to do? What does my word say? Lord, please just tell me. Just do, 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 do. Left or right? What do I do? I mean, do I buy it? Do I sell it? Do I do? What do I do? You show me God. Please show me God. Now, seek and you'll find. Dig, you'll discover. Knock, pursue it, and you'll catch it. You'll get it. So sometimes you can get spoiled, you know. God tells you something, God says, He shows you something. Praise God, God showed me I know exactly what I'm supposed to do. And then you don't do anything else because now you wait around, meaning he showed you a few things a couple times. Now we're just going to wait around until God tells us what to do before we do anything. Now, God, I'm just waiting for God to show me, you know. I mean, I, if he wants me to start that business, I'll start that business. I'm just waiting for him to show me what to do. If he wants me to go to church, I'll go to church. And I'm just waiting for him to show me what to do. I'm just, you know, whatever he wants me to do. If he wants me to do this, if he wants me to marry that person, I'll marry that person. If he want, whatever he wants me to do. I'm just, I'm just waiting for God. 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 I'm just, you know, it's really strange. Years are going by and you're still waiting on God. Concerning this and concerning that. Maybe God's waiting on you. Maybe he's looking for you to get off your lazy pot roast and get in there and start digging so that you can be transformed into a king. Into a ruler that has some diligence and has some discipline about them and some glory upon their life. Now, you didn't get too many shouts on the rump roast, but... What did I say, pot roast? I meant rump, rump roast. Rump roast. Get off your rump roast, you know. Let's go after it. I love what Gene got here, you know, Friday night, in the night in the glory, talking about dreams. Don't be afraid to dream. And of course... Go after them. If you got something and it seems right, it seems good, 
Go for it. And just trust God that if it's not right, he'll help you. He'll help, he'll help show that up. That was Paul the Apostle. You see that in the book of Acts. He wasn't always waiting around for God to tell him where to go. He just said, well, we're going to go here. And then as he went to go, go, he couldn't go. It was like the Spirit forbade him, as the Bible says. And then he went to go somewhere else, and the Spirit forbade him. And I think that happened two or three times. And then he went to sleep, and then the Lord said, it's over here in Macedonia. And he showed him in a dream, a man in Macedonia saying, come over here and help us. And he goes, you know what? I bet that's where we're supposed to go. He figured it out. But God stepped in and intervened. But he, was he wasn't waiting for God to say something before he moved. He was moving. And when it was in the wrong direction, God stopped him. That's good. And if you commit it to him, he's going to help you. Commit your works to him. But you got to work. I said you got to work. Hallelujah. What do you do when God withdraws from you? Well, do what he said over in James chapter 4, verse 8. Draw near to God. Stop waiting for God to draw near to you. You draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. See, that's all in the seeking. That's all in the searching. That's all in the pursuing, you know? The more you pursue God, the more you seek after him and you want answers to things, the more you're going to find yourself purifying yourself, cleansing yourself, and washing yourself of the things of this world. Washing yourself in the word of God so that you can find it. Say, man, I need to know. I need to know. I might need to do some fasting here. I might need to, whatever. I definitely need to turn away from things that are clouding my mind. I can't allow my mind to be clouded by the things of this world. I, I, I got to know. I got to seek. I got to find out. I got to get in there. I got to dig in. You know, the flesh could get, the flesh is just so complacent. And we got to watch about that complacency. We've got to rise up and recognize, man, I've got to get answers. I've got to seek God. Because a move of God, I got to see, it's not automatic. Don't, I'm, I'm not up here telling you it's, it's going to happen, it's automatic. It is going to happen, and it almost is automatic, but it's really not. Actually, I'm saying that to you. That's a part of you getting it and mixing your faith with me to see to it that it comes to pass. Because it won't even matter even if it does happen, because if people aren't ready, it's just going to pass right by them. They'll say, I think something happened. I think I felt a breeze. Did you feel a breeze, honey? I think I felt a breeze. He just went right past the Presbyterians. He went right past the Baptists. He moved. The spirit just moved right through there. They just went, I think I, 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 I smell something. I don't know. What was that? Anyway, anyway. Now, let's get back to our doctrine. You missed the whole thing. You'll miss the whole thing, right? Just like Peter, Peter, James, and John up there on the mountain. I mean, they're up there on the mountain. Jesus is transfigured. Moses and Elijah appeared. This is a major move of God. But the Bible says they were heavy with sleep. They were heavy with sleep. But then, when they were fully awake, they saw his glory. Thank God they had time to wake up. But even then, when they saw his glory, they still didn't know what to do with it. Peter puts his foot right in his mouth. Says, Lord, it's good for us to be here. The flesh, flesh is no idea. See, the more flesh you are, the more you don't recognize the clanging symbol. You don't recognize what a clanging symbol that is. See, but when you're in the spirit and God is like talking and God is like there 
it's like you can recognize a clanging cymbal pretty quick. You can, you, this, and this is another thing we could get into. But, but, you know, the Spirit of God's moving, and then all of a sudden you have, you have people like Peter, bless their darling hearts, you know. Ah, hallelujah! Ah, hallelujah! Oh, Jesus. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's kind of like the woman where Paul joins some women at a certain time of prayer every day, for a certain time of prayer every day, an hour of prayer. They would meet and they'd pray, get out there in the Spirit. And there was this one woman, she had a demon. And she'd just come along. And uh, she said, these are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. Listen to them. Sounds okay. But she did this for many days and it greatly annoyed the Apostle Paul. Why? Because it was a clanging symbol. It was the flesh inspired of Satan. But you see, an unskilled person won't recognize that. They'll say, well, did you hear what they said? And then Paul walked up to her and said, shut up, Satan. That's he said, it, and it was Margaret. That's who he said. You know, sweet Margaret? She's always on the front row with the tambourine. I mean, she is like the most spiritual woman in the church. She has visions like every hour. She's always telling us about her visions. I mean, she's like the most spiritual person in church. And that man, so insensitive to God, says, shut up, devil. It's okay, because they arrested him after that. They got him thrown in jail. And Margaret, she's back in the church. She's okay. She was pretty upset. She was different for a while, for like a few hours. She was just standing there. She was shocked. She was like dumbfounded. But whatever she lost, she got it back. It's good for us to be here. No, it's too weighty for that. God's too weighty for that. Hallelujah. Oh, thank God forever. Man, there's so much more we could say, but we've run out of time. Why don't we stand on our feet and just thank the Lord tonight? Hallelujah. That concludes this message. For more information about Life of Faith Bible Church or Stephen Fraser Ministries, go to our website at lofbc.org. While you're there, be sure to check out the many other teaching series and books by Stephen Fraser. That website again is lofbc.org. And you can always call 888-542-2555. We trust today's message has encouraged your faith and strengthened your spirit to live the victorious life. And until next time, remember, we always triumph and we always win.